Hi, I'm Alicia. Hi, I'm Sarah. We're two English teachers reclaiming literacy through pop culture. Welcome to Lit. crazy Monday evening that we are all here recording. You are listening to it whenever you are. We go live on Wednesdays and who knows what time is. I don't these days, but we are excited today to talk to you about Ted Lasso. Sarah would tell you that I've spent way too long digging my heels on this one. I would tell you that Apple TV wasn't something I wanted to pay for. So, you know, we, it is what it is. But <laughs> we are here today, not just Sarah and me, but also with Bill Visco, who Sarah met at NCTE. I was busy being very pregnant, so I didn't meet Bill then. And due to technical difficulties, what is meeting right now, Bill? What is what is time? What is life? But uh, <laughs> excited for you guys to get to know Bill a little bit today. He is a doctor of English education at the University of Akron in Ohio. He comes to us as our Ted Lasso expert because he has recently worked on an article and a book chapter about Ted Lasso. And in 2023, he received the Ohio Council of Teachers of English Language Arts Teacher of the Year. So, hey, got a pretty cool guy here. Bill, welcome to LitThink. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to have you and excited for you to be our, our person here who tells us all about our mustachioed soccer, football, whatever you want to say. I have, side note, I have to tell you real quick, Bill, I got stupid excited when Roy Kent ended up on Sesame Street. I might have texted Sarah in all capital letters. So I'm just saying <laughs> my my toddler next to me was just like, why is mom? I'm screaming. So I was like, oh my gosh, it's Roy Kent! They <laughs> we were just like, what? That was a perfect cameo with uh, Ralph. That was perfect. Yeah, it was, well, it was all about games. They were playing games on that episode. So Roy Kent came and talked about games. It was pretty fantastic. But all that to say, let's come back to, I know why I have now watched Ted Lasso through twice before my Apple TV subscription finished up after a month. Sarah knows why she loves Ted Lasso. Bill, why do you love Ted Lasso? Let's start there today. Um, I really enjoyed Ted Lasso because, uh, I don't know, being someone who played soccer in, in high school and college and relating to um, that part of it, but also... Uh, being a coach as well, uh, when I when I was a high school teacher, it really um, I don't know. You you want to mold uh, those those people that you're coaching and and help them be the best versions of themselves. And I I think I you know there's something that just resonated with the character of of Ted Lasso, and not just the character of Ted Lasso. All the characters have little bits and pieces, the growth over time, and and so forth. And I think as a um, as an educator. Uh, you know, we try to see that in our students. And I think it just was, it was at a time um, over COVID when, uh, when I got kind of accustomed to watching Ted Lasso that really provided, you know, hope. And it was a, a positive message. Um, there's a lot of shows I watch with less than positive messages or just, you know, there's not that, that sense of belief or hope that Ted Lasso really gives. Mm. Yeah, Sarah, I think you were the one who were saying your your younger kid was saying, oh my gosh, why do you guys love Ted Lasso so much? And you said, look, adults just need Ted Lasso, okay? <laughs> and we would just try to explain to him, we just need something that makes us happy. Mm. We just needed something that was going to, you know, make the world a better place. And I finally understand offsides. 
Um, after years and years of watching kids play soccer, it took Ted Lasso to teach me what offsides was. And so this last soccer season, I actually understood it before my son no longer plays. So, okay. But Sarah, did you love Ted Lasso because of the optimism or did you love it because of all the Broadway references? Because I mean, hello, there is a point in Ted Lasso's office where they're ready their favorite Julie Andrews movie. It's, it's no, 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 no. It's just, I mean, that, that was a bonus. That was a bonus. I... I'm a huge lover of sports film and as a sports television show, I, I fully loved the fact that it was as all good sports shows and good sports movies are, it was not just about sports. Mm. And so I, I really appreciated that it took an optimism that sometimes felt a little bit like, can the world really be like this? But then you're like, no, the world could be like this Mm. if we just tried. Mm. So yeah, I really appreciated it. Specifically, I think, I think the, um, the addition of all, Oh, I was going to say, I think the addition of all the pop culture references are really, you know, someone who loves pop culture, you know, those little nuggets that are dropped continuously are, you know, they're like little Easter eggs you can't get enough of. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of really like early Will and Grace episodes or some of those other shows that just try to be really, really timely with some of their references. But I think that's even what I appreciated about Ted Lasso. I mean, they were referencing NSYNC's No Strings Attached album. They go, they're very much hitting kind of their niche audience as far as who they're reaching out to. And it's, I mean, I would argue it's millennials and Gen Xers that this show was written for, but that's a whole other tangent we could go on to today on lit think. If we're going to lit think this puppy, we are going to talk about Ted Lasser through the lens of sports journalism. And let's clarify Sarah and I went back and forth quite a bit talking about, should we talk about Ted Lasso through the lens of toxic masculinity? Should we talk about it through the lens of redemption? There's so many things that, as is true with the rich piece of media, we could look at this. But I think sports journalism is something that definitely, I think, has a place in the English classroom, but we don't necessarily always know how to bring it in. And I also know that as soon as I said sports journalism, Sarah said, oh my gosh, let's do it, because this is one of Sarah's personal passions. (laughs) So for all of those reasons... I'm a function as our moderator. Bill is our Ted Lasso expert. Sarah, start out by talking to us about what is sports, sports journalism? How did it come to exist? How is it different from traditional journalism? Okay, so Bill, as the uh, former coach and a soccer player, feel free to interrupt me at any time <laughs> when I'm talking about the sports journalism. Um, you know, with everything, it started with print. Everything, the newspapers were the way everybody found out about who they should bet on when they were going to the horse races mm-hmm. or who the next boxing match is going to be between. You, you had to have sports journalism so that you knew what entertainment to go see mm-hmm. because sports has been this thing that has united people for millennia. This is why we had the Olympics. It brought people together. And so... Once you got print journalism going, you had a newspaper, then everybody found out on on the newspaper. Um, A lot of the audiences tended to be upper class just because they could afford it. But even then, I think that's that's why baseball was called America's game. And I mean, people still call it America's game, but there's a lot of questions now in the 21st century. Is baseball really have as much of a pull as it used to? But for the longest time, it had that pull because everyone could go to baseball games, they could find ways to go to baseball games, and they could find ways to play baseball too. And so those become the stories that everybody wants to read in the newspaper and listen to on the radio. I mean, 
for goodness sakes, I remember in the 80s listening to my my dad would do yard work and he would wash our hair and he would do all this stuff while listening to Tigers baseball. Like that's that was how I grew up was listening to Tigers baseball on the radio my because dad my dad wanted to catch the games and early podcasting, right? <laughs> there was no podcasting. It was all through the radio. So this is how he learned all about it. Um, and, you know, Sports Illustrated came out in the mid 20th century. And that still is print journalism with magazines, which is so sad because now Sports Illustrated is essentially shutting its doors. I mean, they're still keeping the website, but it's not the same as having the print magazine. And that really has has kind of impacted sports journalism a lot because with the digital age, how are you going to pay all these great sports writers? I love Sports Illustrated because the sports writing in Sports Illustrated is so good and the commentary is so good. And there have been some great writers that have come through there that just have accumulated so much good work. I'm a big fan of Rick Riley um, and all of his work over the years. And so in the United States, this is what journalists has been. It's been tracking all the stats. It's been making sure that we tell the stories. It's been telling the human interest stories that go with sports too. And this is what we also see in fiction with Ted Lasso. Like everybody's interested about this, the statistics and are they going to win? Are they going to get relegated or not? <laughs> or are they, you know, what's going to happen? Um, and are they going to scramble their way back up? But then also the human interests of the different characters and how they interact with each other and how they interact with their fans and um, the stories that they tell. So. Well, so that's a great time. I know Sarah just talked a little bit about it, but Bill, as Sarah talks about this shift from print media to digital media, and arguably it's even like the print era of journalism to now our digital era of journalism. How do we see that manifest in the Ted Lasso story? Um, I think in Ted Lasso, it's actually interesting because one of the main, um, I mean, I guess he starts off as an antagonist, right? Trent Krim it writes, he writes for a newspaper, The Independent. Um, he's not digital media and he's not TV or anything like that. He is, um, a, you know, just a, an old fashioned reporter. Um, and I think that there's something to that. I think there's an authenticity to it that um, it's this, this, uh, you know, kind of uh, foiled Ted Lasso who wants to get in the beginning, wants to get him. He's, you know, really out to kind of, uh, you know, talk about how ridiculous it is. And he is altered by his time with Ted Lasso. And I think that that's very interesting. Um, I think that th there's, I think that there's a, uh, a semi-reality to it because I feel like a lot of reporters um, have their minds made up about people and then they go in with an agenda and very rarely are they altered, you know, from that agenda. Whereas in Ted Lasso, um, there's this obvious change, this curve of, of Trent Krim, which is, which is wonderful, which is how it should be. Mm. Um, you know, you shouldn't make your decision based on, you know, you shouldn't be like, this is how I think about someone and, uh, we're going to move on. Um, you know, that time he spends with this time he spends with Ted Lasso is very important. And I think it shows a lot about, you know, the, the power of perception and how people can change your perception of them. It's the whole be curious, not judgmental, um, you know, mantra there. And um, I think that uh, it's, it's very interesting to watch, you know, those press conferences and what the, um, you know, they actually do have a thing with digital media with um, Rebecca trying to get Ted caught with Keeley 
uh, you know, the, in over in um, in England, there's a lot of paparazzi. There's, uh, you know, all these uh, scandalous stories that go on. And they talk a lot. They actually do talk a lot about that uh, in the show, but it's kind of um, sidelined. And I think that uh, I think that that's kind of different. It, it actually check that it was different. But America and thanks to the digital age, um, we're slowly becoming that same thing where there is no real privacy. And, you know, these athletes are, you know, 24 seven are in front of a camera, uh, you know, going, you know, going to dinner or going to lunch or going out to get groceries. There's a camera in their face. And I think for a while in America, that wasn't the thing. Over in England, it definitely was, especially for for soccer players. Mm. Um, but now it's just become, you know, ubiquitous. I have to tell you guys, I'm feeling really uncomfortable with us calling it soccer for this whole episode. What are you talking about? <laughs> Ted Lass is a football coach. <laughs> uh, I also just that, want to point out true. real quick, and Sarah, you're you're welcome to respond then in just a minute. But um, I, I just want to point out part of what you're pointing out is that shift from print media to digital media is we went from helping people relive the moment of the game through the writing to then we want to build a narrative around their experience. So this is even Trent Krim. He's trying to figure out his angle on Ted from the beginning. And arguably it's also why he shifts from immediate sports journalism to narrative writing, why he chooses to write a book about the team because he says, I want to observe more and judge less. And that shift in his position in the storytelling allows him to do that, I would argue. There were two really interesting things that I thought of as you were talking about. Like the first thing was the tribute that the Ted Lasso crew did to Grant Wall, who was the um, the reporter who was killed in Qatar or Qatar, Qatar, right? <laughs> but during the World Cup. And because there were rumors that he had had a lot of conversations with Grant Wall, that Grant Wall had also helped with um, talking to the crew and the writing team and helping out with some of their episodes. And um, so, you know, the real life Trent Krim was somebody who understood the this, this sport and loved the sport. And I think to be a good sports writer, and I, you do see this with, with Trent Krim eventually, like you see this, especially in that last season, he loves football. He loves the sport. He loves the players. I think Ted Lasso really graded on him because there's a little bit of an elitism to it too, but also he didn't want to see a sport that he loved so much tainted by this guy who knew nothing about it and didn't understand the importance of the culture in England because you're right. Like football has this it's a phenomenal culture in England. Everybody cares very deeply about it. They're, the rivalries are very real. The people that are opposing fans, it's very, very visceral the way they feel about each other in some ways and the fights that happen. Um, and so that was one thing I thought of. And then when you were talking about the paparazzi and the reality is that a lot of athletes in England have always, that for the longest time, there's been a celebrity to them. It hasn't just been that they were athletes. They were also celebrities. And when you were talking about how it's happening here, I started thinking about everything with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and the fact that they have not just a sports relationship, but it's become very, it's the, the celebrity that goes with it, right? Like that's become... They're like 
this power couple that's combining two very different spheres together. Uh, that is an interesting shift in the way we look at sports reporting in the United States. But no matter what, I want to emphasize, I think that that really points to that that shift of we, we want to have a narrative around our players, right? So, I mean, part of why the paparazzi have so much power around our sports players is because we're, we're emphasizing the difference between it's not just about the stats, it's not just about the game, it's about the people playing the game. And I think we see that in the way Trent Krim reports, even in the way his words affected Roy Kent and why Roy is so against Trent from the point that Trent Krim comes in to write his book about the, um, the, wow, the team, uh, I have words. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> then also how, yeah, his response to Ted, um, any other thoughts you want to share about that? The, the, oh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, actually. So that's, that's very interesting that you brought up about, uh, the Trent Krim, Roy Kent, uh, um, conflict. And I think that there's something to that where, um, you know, Roy Kent uh, carries that article with him from when he was 17 years old that Trent oh, Krem yeah. wrote that like basically said that he was no good and wasn't going to be any good and blah, blah, blah. And that kind of pushed him forward. But for a lot of people, you know, all right. So in that case, it pushed Roy Kent forward to be great or whatever. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would break. And, and I think that um, there's something to that in today's day and age, especially because he, uh, you know, maybe in the 80s or 70s or 60s or whatever, it could be one guy who writes one article and he's only writing an article a week about you or whatever. Now you write, you have one bad game. You have a thousand people on the Internet telling you, you know, you need to go like jump off a bridge or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, that guy is doing the best he can. Like, give him a break. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But but that's the difference. Like, that's the that's the shift. And um, and, you know, for. For Trent, when he's asked, why did you write that? He said, oh, I was trying to make a name for myself. And I think there, therein lies like another problem where in, you know, what you were saying was in the past, reporters were writing to tell us about the experience of the game. They're telling us about the guy, you know, oh, he let off third and he stole home or whatever. They're, re, they're reliving it because there was no TV. People weren't watching it on, you know, watching it on ESPN. Now it's like, all right, you guys saw the game. Let me tell you about all these backstories and all these other things. And uh, the question is, is that really the journalism we want or is that the journalism, you know, we're clamoring for? And the answer is obviously yes, because, you know, people want to see Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Like, they don't care that uh, this guy runs a really good down and out. They want to know, like, is, is Taylor Swift there? What's she wearing? Did she, you know, dip her you know, chicken finger and ranch and so forth, which is, you know, I don't know if that's journalism at some point. Bill, that sounded a little inappropriate. FYI, did she dip her chicken finger in ranch, but we won't go there. Okay. (laughs) Um, Also just want to point out, I mean, this is about the power of story. I think about Trent Krim and Colin's interactions in the show and specifically, oh. this is why Colin doesn't want to come yes. out, doesn't want to be the gay football player, because he knows exactly how many people are going to be responding to that one part of his identity. But then Trent sees him. Trent recognizes him as a fellow queer person almost instantaneously. And I mean, it's what, like, it's in like the fifth or sixth episode of season one. They're talking about banter. And Colin's one, he's like, oh, like grinder. And they all just go, uh... 
There were hints. Everyone, you guys, Colin, there were hints. But uh, someone clearly rewatched the whole thing well, immediately. After. What? what? No, I noticed that actually in the first episode. I'm sorry, Sarah. We queer people. We recognize game. Anyway, um, all of that coming back to Trent had so much power as he held Colin's story in his hand. And yet he chose. We look at how Trent has shifted his concept of morality in the space of this narrative sports writing in the way that he handles Colin's story. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Both of you. Let's good time to move on. <laughs> so I guess I would bring it to sports narrative. Yeah. So just the, role of sports. the next thing we have to talk about is, so there's definitely sports journalism. And now we're talking about there's this new genre that we're setting, which is sports narrative. And I know you're about to tell us more, Sarah, but I think we need to acknowledge sports narrative. Then it's not just, something you're going to find in a newspaper anymore. It could be a podcast. It could be a book. It could be a TikTok series about Taylor's relationship. That is a great reference there, Sarah. So um, tell us more in general about like what is sports narrative, this subgenre of sports journalism as a whole? I think sports narrative is honestly the reason why we like sports stories mm. so much because there's the winners and the losers. We like sports stories because there's a clear winner and there's a clear loser. And we want to be able to see victory on the battlefield or the court or the whatever it is, the pitch. So we want to see it mm. play out there. Um, but we also love sportsmanship. <laughs> so there's a reason why that scene at the end of Cool Runnings is so emotional. When the team from Jamaica, their sled falls apart and they pick up their sled and they walk to the finish line. They're not going to win. And they know they're not going to win. But there's a reason why everybody gets so emotional about that scene. Because it is a team that continued to stick together and they were going to finish the race mm. together. Mm. They weren't going to let the sled have force them to stop. Mm. Um, the conflicts between teams. We like rivalries between teams. Mm. We love to have that. This is the good guy, the bad guy. I mean... Colts fan, the Patriots were the worst for the longest time because we kept losing to the Patriots, which made them the evil empire. So there's this whole you have this idea of good guys and bad guys. I remember when our son was really little, he had a hard time because we were living in Houston and here he was being raised a Colts fan and he had some friends that were Houston Texans fans and he was having a really hard time with this idea of this opposing team not being bad guys. And we're like, no, there's not, it's not good guys, bad guys. It, it's, it, there's a lot more complication to that. There are some good people that play for the Texans, right? And there are probably some bad people that play for the Colts. So we, we had to talk about some of the complexities there with a kid who at the time was young enough to still be seeing things very black and white. Um, so I, there's just, we love sports narratives because sometimes they simplify the story and they simplify the good and evil. And sometimes they help us see our better selves. And I think Ted Lasso is consistently trying to help people see their better selves, mm. whether we're winning or losing, we're still being our best and we're still doing our best mm. and our teammates matter to us. They are, I, I don't always like using family metaphors for, for different things, but in many ways, a good sports team is like a family. They are brothers. They are working together. Um, and 
I just, I love sports. <laughs> well, I don't love sports, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, Bill, how, speaking of then of sports narrative, how do you see that kind of that idea of this, you know, the sport represents our own internal conflicts. It's this concept of a war of the good guy, bad guy. This conflict centers around team play, sportsmanship, and kind of family values. How do you see some of those things in Ted Lasso? I mean, you know, Ted Lasso is a, is a really good narrative of not, it's not just a narrative of like sport, right? It's a narrative of life. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that with the right attitude, we can achieve things together, that working together is very important. You know, I mean, they set up the characters perfectly to be manipulated over the course of three seasons where you have, you know, uh, Jamie Tart is one of my favorites because of his maturation, even though he's still completely ridiculous and, and he's still kind of conceited. He understands at the end kind of what Ted Lasso was doing at the beginning. And it's this arc that is so beautiful. And I think it's the arc that we want, you know, as teachers, it's the arc we want our troubled students to have. Um, it's uh, it's an arc that we hope, you know, that that everyone can can attain, that they can see, you know, their kind of selfishness and, you know, give that up for the betterment of everyone else. Um, and so I think that the, that narrative is is really important in, in sports in general, right? All sport movies. When I think about some of my favorite sports movies, it's all about, like, I can, it's always, I can overcome. There's never like, oh, this team was great. And then they won, right? No one's making a, no one's making a, a, a movie about uh, the 2009 Alabama team, right? Or something like that. They're making it about teams that, um, that are supposed to lose and then they win, um, you know, like Leicester or something. Um, for those of you who don't know, you know, soccer, they were like a 5,000 to one shot. Um, in I think 2014 and they ended up winning everything or maybe it was before 2014 anyway but uh, yeah I think those those um, narratives are really are really interesting and thinking about narrative in a different perspective back back years ago right the narrative was based on whoever the writer was for the the newspaper the local newspaper usually or you know sometimes a national newspaper and then it kind of converted to more you know more national espn or something like that now sports athletes are taking narratives into their own hands right like what's one of the most you know the influential podcast is um the new heights with uh, the kelsey brothers um i know micah parsons in dallas has a podcast right so you have a lot of these athletes who are kind of taking the narrative that, and and using the narrative that they want, or they're able to get their side of the story out, and it's not just one person's view. So I think mm. that's also very interesting: is that there's multiple narratives going on. Mm. Can we just? Well, they're doing it with video. They're they're utilizing all the video. The college athletes are doing the same thing. Mm. You know, they each have their own TikTok channels, and they're helping other people see what it actually is like to be them. So they're humanized. They're trying to also humanize their experience too. So they're not just people on the field. Can we just, Jamie, talk real quick. God bless me, everyone. <laughs> there's, my, there's my Jamie's heart. How are you? You're such welcome. Great, <laughs> yeah, that, he's, so, he's such a great character. Like, he's such a great, like, yeah. that part is perfect. Like he does that perfect. So, and his, his character arc made, it, you know, sometimes somebody might look at his character arc and be like, how could he possibly have turned around? But you can see it. Like, you can see his whole character arc happening. And it makes 
sense. It doesn't feel like it comes out from left field. Mm-hmm. He gets beat down. He gets smacked down and he's at his lowest point and that brings him back. And yeah, you're right. Well, then we start wondering if this is something that your students can go to. It's kind of like what I have like felt about Jesse and Breaking Bad. Like <laughs> I felt the same way <laughs> about Jamie Tarr too. But yeah. I think Sarah, I texted you every single time that I cried during Ted Lasso and Jamie Tart mm-hmm. might've been the, the impetus for several of those tears. Uh, I also have to Claire, I was waiting for you to say hero's journey. We have, we have a new joke on the podcast bill that every time Sarah says hero's journey, we have to take a shot. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, I didn't say hero's journey. You, did I said, he had you said, you said story arc. That is true. You said character arc. We did it. Arc. We did it. I, I I tease. Yes. I tease because I love. I hope you know, Bill. <laughs> Sarah is my mentor. She's made me who I am for good or bad. But <laughs> well, I, I mean, Jamie, Jamie, um, Jamie Tart. It's it, you know the the thing about Jamie Tart is at the end of the first season when he makes the extra pass for them to beat Richmond, mm. and Ted Lasso gives him the note and was like, "Nice pass," like that. That moment, what like that moment really like solidified that like this is a show I want to watch a million episodes of because I'm like that's how we we it takes a big person to do that mm-hmm. and that's the kind of person I feel like we want to be inside and we're not a lot of times we're like man how is that guy like? mm-hmm. but he yeah. is like so grateful like you know you listened you did listen and I can mm-hmm. see your maturation and he's telling him how great he's gonna be. And how thankful he is that he got to be part of that. Mm-hmm. And it's something I do with my students all the time. I tell them how thankful I am to be part of their educational journey. Mm-hmm. Even when they may not be the greatest of students. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm thankful that you were part of my life. And and that takes a big, big heart for Ted Lasso to do that. And yeah. like, can we just talk about adding to that heart? I mean, I think the next step in Jamie's journey is being willing to be vulnerable. We see how he reacts after his father comes at him and how Roy oh, yeah. he, Roy just grabs him in a hug and gives him permission to cry. Uh, there, there's, yeah, sorry. The other quote I'm thinking of with Jamie is the reality. He's still not going to know what words like Pavlovian mean. It's when uh, Keely's talking to him about <laughs> <laughs> if we go somewhere, it's going to be Pavlovian. And he goes, oh, Pav- Pavlovian? <laughs> Also confusing it with Bluey, where they they eat a lot of pavlova, but that's that's a whole other. I'm I'm getting my <laughs> pop culture references mixed up. So I have to say, to, in response to both of you, as I think about sports narrative and Ted Lasso, as someone who's not a sports fan, my partner can tell you I'm not a sports fan. The reality is, watching Ted Lasso for the first time ever, I actually I said this to Sarah as well. I can understand why people love sports so much after watching Ted Lasso. And I I understand it as an English teacher because while English teachers say that classics give us this universal language of story and use a universal language of character across time and space, we can talk about these things. And then we all go, Oh my gosh, you're right. That is a very Macbeth type character. Oh my gosh, that he is so Odysseus. I get it. That's sports for the majority of the population. And I thought that that was really beautiful to think about. I don't know. It was the first time, again, I, I 
I thought that sports were beautiful finishing Ted Lasso and going, okay, well, if that's what this is for everyone else, I get it now. Yeah. I, um, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll agree. I'm agree. I'm sorry. I'm talking over Sarah. No, um, I totally agree because I know, (laughs) I know that I have, um, you know, my dad and my brothers and, it doesn't matter like how long it's been since we've talked to one another or what's going on. Like sports is always something that connects us and we can always talk about. Um, then the same with my, uh, my friends, I've had the same kind of core group of friends since I was, you know, in, I don't know, seventh grade, sixth grade. And, uh, one thing we can always talk about is, you know, fantasy football or the football season or this, that, and the other. And it's just something that kind of is this uh, great bonding experience. And yeah, you can really see that in Ted Lasso, especially with the guys in the pub and, um, you know, and going to the same bar and, and the, uh, you know, the lady who owns it may, I think. And uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where that, that experience is something so um, common and something so, you know, so many people can relate to. Cause I know that when I was uh, living in Florida every Saturday, you know, my friends and I would go and we would watch college football together. And it was just like, we'd go to the same place and meet the same people and talk to the same. And it was just, it became like a thing. And so I think there's, you know, something about that that is universal. And it doesn't matter if it's cricket or if it's uh, rugby or if it's Australian football or if it's soccer or if it's whatever, there's uh, hockey or whatever, it brings everyone together. This is a great time to now quote Ted Lasso and say, I believe in communism, rom-communism, that is. If Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan can go through some heartfelt struggles <laughs> and still end up happy, then so can we. <laughs> he had such great Ted Lassoisms. There I love them. So oh. many. I and I, I almost wanted to be taking my own notes because you know you go onto the internet later and go, Okay, here's that I want to find that Ted Lasso quote, and the internet doesn't love the same quotes that I do. But <laughs> On that note, <laughs> I think that that's a, a great time to say, is there anything we missed as far as sports, Sarah, as far as Ted Lasso, Bill, you guys want to bring up to bring it home? I feel pretty good. I think that we, I mean, I could talk about Ted Lasso for hours, so I don't think I need to add anything at this point. Um, I, you know, I think, I think you're right. I think there's so many quotes you know, per epi- the quote per episode ratio is like a not normal because there's so many good quotes per episode mm-hmm. where it's, you know, and it's, it's just like little witticisms mm-hmm. that you can put in your back pocket and use like the rest of your life about like being a goldfish or, um, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get, mm-hmm. which is like a great quote, um, you know, uh, don't fight back, fight forward mm. is something I really liked. Mm. It, I mean, I, it's something that, you know, maybe students can <laughs> relate to instead of being negative. Um, or all people are different people, mm-hmm. which is something that we need to recognize. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so those quotes are, are really early. Yeah, I always go back to the be. Sorry, I was going to say, I always go back to be curious, mm-hmm. not judgmental. Like that scene is such just a beautiful scene that tells us so many things about Ted's character. And at the same time, it's one of those things that you just want everybody to absorb. (laughs) You want them to have that be a life mantra Mm -hmm. to be curious. Yeah. And as well, 
and especially as English teachers relating it to, you know, Walt Whitman is great. Um, and that's, that's fantastic. And I know that, um, you wanted to talk about, it's funny cause you wanted to talk about like the masculinity of the show or, 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 or so forth. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, a lot of it is Ted, Ted Lasso talking about not being masculine, not having that masculinity. Mm-hmm. Cause there's even a part where he's like, you guys need to woman up. And he's like, and they, and they're like, what do you mean woman up? And he's like, well, manning up's not working, so I guess you need to woman up. Um, you know, a lot of the references are very, he calls God a, a female, right? He says, uh, you know, she. Um, and uh, I think, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of interesting points there. And even the Diamond Dogs is something that is, I think, more men would need to see to realize, like, it's okay to have a group of guys to talk about problems with and... You know, we don't need to solve all the problems. We just need to have someone to vent to. And I think that that's like a beautiful thing that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, me- you know, males would be like, oh, I'm too strong to talk about this or it's not, you know, it's not, it doesn't look good to talk about that. I think there's something to that that's very beautiful, a sense of a sense of belonging, sharing without judgment um, and all those things that people really need. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, cultivating those in a classroom is also really important. That's a whole other direction we could go is talking about our loneliness epidemic and how sports narratives fit into that and around our development of community. But that's going to have to wait for another day because I will tell you guys right now, my baby monitor right now is in the bed. So if you guys hear anything, it's not my fault. It's Lithic's fault. (laughs) On that note, great time for us to conclude. Why don't we go ahead and talk a bit about what we're enjoying right now. Bill is our guest. You can start us out. Tell us about some media that you are enjoying just for fun right now. Uh, just for fun. Um, I've been catching up on uh, Ladder Milk, which is on Netflix. Um, three seasons. Uh, you know, it's definitely not uh, school appropriate, but it is a lot of fun to watch starring Ron Livingston. Um, it's a It's a show where he's a kind of recovering alcoholic and he works with um, other, he leads a group of, of addicts, uh, recovering addicts. And it's kind of his story of what he's going through in his life. It's, it's funny. It has its moments. Um, I'm only through season one. I still have two seasons to go. Um, if you still had Apple TV, I would tell you to watch Shrinking because it's fantastic. Watch it before I lost With, it. Um, you know, Harrison Ford. Oh, all right. Good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> and then um, I told you. I told you um, that I was reading a book called uh, "What Do We, uh, Why Do We Say That" by Scott Matthews, which is about idioms and phrases. Uh, I, I use a lot of old timey idioms and phrases. Um, my wife tells me I'm an 80 year old man in, in like a forty something year old body uh, because I use all these old phrases. But I like to know like where they come from and why we use, why we use them. Mm. So that's my uh, that's my new thing. Fun. Sarah, what about you? Okay. Uh, I, at the recommendation of, of a friend who's a middle school teacher, I read Simon sort of says, I should listen to this one, but um, by Aaron Bow, it is a, a great story that deals with post-traumatic stress from a school shooting, but also um, Western Nebraska culture and um just what happens as you're trying to heal from trauma. And it's a beautiful depiction of a church worker's family that I would not expect in just standard YA fiction as someone who had that experience growing up. Uh, But yeah, it's very well told. And then uh, my husband and I went to see Argyle, 
which was just as ridiculous as it looks, but sometimes you just need to have fun and see a movie about a writer and also a movie about spies. And it was a goofy version of the Kingsman. And it's said by the, it's the same people that did the Kingsman did Argyle, but it was much goofier than the Kingsman, but at the same time had a lot of the same feel to it. So it's not peaceful. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> But it was fun. Well, I'll round us out by saying I have recently, the meter on reading when there's a newborn in the house isn't as speedy as I once was. But before my latest tiny human was born, I finished Bookshops and Bone Dust, which is the prequel to Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. I am realizing my partner really loves high fantasy and I prefer a cozy fantasy. Don't give me a lot of world building. Give me, I mean, Legends of Lattes, it's literally, there's an ogre who is running a coffee shop. I'm here for it. Let's do it. Let's have a happy little time. Don't give me too much conflict. Let's just sit here and sip our coffee together. You ogre, me, Alicia, let's do it. So highly recommend, quick, fun, adorable read. And then uh, His Dark Materials, I could go into a whole rant about how Harry Potter was banned in my childhood library at school, but the His Dark Materials trilogy was not by Philip Pullman. And yet it's ultimately a whole story about how God is fake and we have to kill him. All that to say, with that childhood memory in mind, I was interested going into the Max series that has Lin-Manuel Miranda in it. And it was actually very, very, very well done. It allowed me to revisit the story in a way as an adult that I think a lot of my lens as a child that I wasn't allowed to fully immerse myself in the story. I then felt like I could do that instead. And uh, it was a very quick watch. That was one of my first postpartum binges and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. So, hey, we could do this for a lot longer. I thank you so much, both of you, for this conversation. But Bill, it is time to say, as Danny Rojas would say, adios. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today and we look forward to chatting more with you soon yes thank you so much for having me i really had a good time and i would love to be back whenever you want me awesome we would love it so stick around for a little bit <laughs> for afterwards after we log off here um make sure that you also remember to subscribe to our Substack so that you can get updates and you can get blog posts about the teaching ideas that we have in the classroom um and get us on facebook and instagram as well this has been sarah and alicia signing off and bill keep on lit thinking and people. bill <laughs>